Andrea Smith and I am your host and we are on episode number 60. I'm super pumped about this. One of the things I just want to let you guys know in case you're wondering, I have actually pre-scheduled what is this like 12? I'm tr- I'm aiming for 12. We'll see if I actually get there podcast episodes for May, June, and July. As many of you listeners know, I am having a baby any day now. I'm due May 12th, so we'll see what happens. I feel like this baby girl is going to come early. So I have actually recorded a ton of interviews and a bunch of coaching episodes and done my best to pre-schedule them so that I can kind of try and enjoy well, maybe enjoy is not the right word, but survive (laughs) the first three months of having a newborn and the sleep deprivation that comes along with it. Because trust me, you don't want to hear from this person in those first three months because I would sound like an uncaffeinated mess. Anyways, what is really interesting is that it ties in nicely (laughs) with today's guest. So today's guest is Courtney Novak, who is a podcaster an author and a fellow survivor of postpartum depression. And I for and she's just an all-around awesome human being as well. So I'm just going to throw that out there. So I first heard about Courtney and her podcast Adventures with Postpartum Depression through a friend. And this friend had been a guest on the podcast sharing her own experience in the most honest way possible, and she encouraged me to do the same. So at first I hummed and hawed about it, and then I reached out to Courtney. And after sharing my own experience on her podcast, I felt this relief of sharing my story and knowing that both Courtney and her listeners were people that completely understood what I was going through. So I could be real and honest and vulnerable because, you know, everyone else that was listening was going me too. And that that was not something that I was necessarily feeling in the rest of my life. So it was just, it was an incredible experience. And I will link to my own interview in the show notes. Now, then I kind of thought, you know, I need to reconnect with Courtney, I need to talk to her and get her on the Girl Tries Life podcast. So a year later, here she is. She's a mother of two, as I mentioned, a podcaster, and most recently, the author of her memoir of the same name, Adventures with Postpartum Depression. So in this episode, we talk about her own journey with postpartum, what it was like to experience hospitalization and how postpartum depression has changed her as a parent. We also talk about why the podcast and her in-person meetups that she does are so critical and many of the lessons that she's learned about parenting along the way. Courtney has done so much serious self-reflection and honestly the truth bombs that she dropped during this interview just blew my mind. I had so many moments where I kind of forgot that I was the interviewer. (laughs) And instead, I was just thinking about how her lessons would apply to my own life. So whether you've had postpartum depression, or whether you're, you know, just a fellow parent or expecting or any of those things, I think this is a really fantastic episode to listen to. I would highly recommend you check out the show notes for today, which are at girltrieslife.com forward slash podcast forward slash six zero for episode 60, because I will link to Courtney's newly released book. And I will also be linking to a little bit of information about the Alberta Podcast Network. So Girl Tries Life is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, which is powered by ATB. 
And I want to tell you a little bit about a fellow podcast member. Now, given that we talk in this interview about how important fresh air is and getting outside and walking, I couldn't think of a better podcast to share than WalkCast. So it's hosted by journalist and urbanist Tim... Nope, I'm not even going to try and pronounce his last name. <laughs> it's not in my in my ability. But he talks about walkability in, in cities by walking it. It's a really fantastic fantastic podcast. I suggest you check it out. I also, given that we're talking about, you know, the artistic endeavor of writing your own book, I want to tell you about ATB's Arts and Culture branch. So if you're an artist, you know that banking can be difficult because your income isn't traditional, right? How many of us are trying to sort of make an income from the thing that we absolutely love and enjoy doing? So ATB's new arts and culture branch has is built for people like that. You can finally get your banking done in a way that works for you and the industry that you work in. So the arts and culture branch is opening in Edmonton and Calgary in the next few months. And I will link to that in today's show notes. So, so my last sort of little thing that I'm going to reach out and say is, Hey, if you want to leave a rating and a review in Apple Podcasts, that would absolutely make my day. We're hoping that more and more people find the Girl Tries Life podcast so that they can benefit from these incredible women who are sharing their stories and taking their time to to be honest and vulnerable with you and share tangible tips for living your best life and what that means to them. So if you're enjoying it, I, I would really, I would, I would politely ask that you go onto Apple Podcast, you can do it through your app on the phone. Um, it can be a little bit of a pain in the butt. I totally appreciate that because if you're subscribed, you need to actually exit your subscriptions and go into the search function. So just search Girl Tries Life, you'll see it, and then scroll down and you can leave a rating and a review. So without further ado, let's head over to the interview with Courtney. Well, thank you so much, Courtney, for joining us on the podcast. I'm pleased to be interviewing you this time. I know. I, I Like I was saying earlier, I have to try to not turn the tables. It's Well, it's funny because it is, it is about a year ago, and it was definitely a very different scenario. And I just remember being very emotional sharing that, sharing my experience with you and not expecting to be as emotional about it. But you must be on the receiving end of that all the time with your interviews. <laughs> I think more guests cry than guests who don't cry. Yeah. So maybe just to back up to the very, very beginning, I was hoping you could tell our listeners about your experience with postpartum. Sure. So I had my daughter Pippa in March 2013. She was our first child and we wanted her very much. And I had not any problems getting pregnant, but my pregnancy itself kind of was on the suckier side of the spectrum okay. with with nausea for about eight months and just lots of other just funky symptoms. And I don't think I had pregnancy depression, but I think all that sort of wore me down so that I didn't have a lot of energy going into the postpartum period. And I gave birth and it's the postpartum depression started pretty much right away with guilt. Guilt was like the first one. Like I was exhausted. I, I, I had, um, I had the epidural, but it had worn off, and my doctor convinced me to push without getting a refresher, and I wasn't prepared for that at all. I hadn't practiced any of my Lamage techniques. I just thought, you get the epidural and you're golden. Yeah. 
So they put Pippa on my chest and I was waiting for that cinematic, that those fireworks exploding and the moment you fall in love with your daughter. And instead I was just like, I'm tired. Someone else take the baby so I don't drop her. Mm -hmm. And so that sort of activated the guilt. Anxiety started within a couple of days and it was about, it took about four months before I was able to admit I needed help. The anxiety created obsessive compulsive symptoms. Sorry, I'm losing my voice as I talk to you. And a cold kicks in as we interview. (laughs) And it was things like checking the doors. Like I would check, I would lock and unlock them like 10, 20, 30 times in a row. And then I would check that she was breathing in the morning and I would breastfeed her in the middle of the night and have to go check the locks again in case something had happened while I was breastfeeding. And Around the three-month mark, I was able to notice I had insomnia. I think I had it before then, but because the baby's waking you up so many times, you don't really know why you're not sleeping. Mm -hmm. But I had five weeks of insomnia, and that just kept me tanking and going, feeling despair, thinking my life is over. I gave up. I, I gave up my own life to have a daughter, and I don't have a right to feel bad about this because I have a daughter and she's healthy and wonderful. And I had, I started having dark thoughts about throwing her and they would happen every day around noon. She would have a crying jag. And looking back, I know she was four months old and she was just bored out of her mind because we did nothing. We didn't leave the house. I was too afraid. And then I started having, I had a breakdown where I just was terrified and called my parents crying, called my husband. Everyone came over. I was like, I can't be home alone. So we decided to go to my parents' house for a few days so I could have some extra support. And I convinced everyone I was doing fine, but had the night before I saw my doctor, and I thought my doctor was just going to give me vitamins. I was thinking about, like, I thought about the knife drawer. I was washing dishes, and I'm like, the knives are right there. I could end this so quickly. And I pushed the thought away and left, but I just did not know how much longer I could go on. And so I saw my doctor and I told her everything, everything, including wanting to throw my daughter, which I hadn't told anyone Mm -hmm. and, or not wanting to, but having these compulsion. Yeah. This very, not even a compulsion, just like the, the idea presenting itself. That's a very graphic image and Mm -hmm. seeing it. And then me pushing the thought away, but me worrying how much longer can I push this thought away? And so I told my doctor everything. She told me I had postpartum depression I had done some reading online. I really didn't know how you could have depression when you were anxious, but I was just happy and relieved to have a diagnosis. And she asked me to hospitalize myself. So I voluntarily admitted myself and spent four nights with the general population, which was necessary, but also unhelpful because like they just did it so that they could get me on a high dose of Zoloft right away while being monitored to make sure it wasn't too much. But it was also just terrifying to be I don't I'm not a mental health professional I was a lawyer before I had Pippa I have no and I remember telling my psychiatrist like I don't know how to talk to schizophrenics and he's like you just talk to them like the way you normally would and it's like no they're they're on a different plane of reality and I'm dealing with all this anxiety and guilt and depression I can't be doing this but the stay helped me the Zoloft kicked in really quickly because usually they start you at like 25 milligrams, but they got me on the 100 dose. And I felt my energy come back my third morning. And then I was discharged. And after that, I thought I was recovered. But it was a several month journey of doing cognitive behavioral therapy, 
with a with a psychologist and just journaling every day and examining my feelings and figuring out what I needed to feel like my best self. Yeah. That was like a year long journey. Yeah. And intense. And there's so much deep work that you have to do. Oh, yes. And so I wrote a book about it as part of my recovery. And I I did not think I was going to publish it when I started. But writing made me like when you write a book about it, you become like, like I call it adventures with postpartum depression. That's like my podcast and what the book's called. Because as an, in an adventure, you're the hero. You're an active participant. With an illness, you're the victim. And it's sort of, it happens to you passively. And I met so many moms. I started a support group because I just wanted to be able to talk to other moms about what had happened. And it was hard to connect with people because there is still a stigma and you're not supposed to like walk around with a sign that says I had postpartum depression. And, you know, I would talk to moms and find out that they, they had seen a doctor, they had been given a prescription and that was it. And so I found out that me getting to work with a therapist for seven months and undo all my OCD and change the way I was thinking, that was the exception, not the rule. And it was heartbreaking to see that moms are just being given a bandage when they need so much more work to feel like themselves. Yeah. So you said it took about, was it about a year all in or about 10 months? Well, I mean, I got diagnosed at the four month mark in, in late July. And I did work with my psychologist until early February. And at that point, I considered myself as recovered. But I've just kept doing work on myself since then. Yeah. So it took from about almost about a year to get from giving birth to feeling like myself. But the thing about this whole experience is before I had Pippa, I was just, I was an anxious person and I couldn't see it. I thought my anxiety was helpful. So this whole experience made me want to just make deeper changes just to how I think and how I live my life. And I feel, I'm just, I'm grateful that I had postpartum depression because it was like a spiritual wake up call for me. Yeah. I love how you say that on your website, like being grateful for it. And I think a lot of people can struggle with that. I'm curious with your, like saying that the anxiety existed before, have you figured out what your triggers are for anxiety? Oh, my triggers. I'm still working on that. Cause I'm not I, sure I figured out mine yet. <laughs> no, I'm, I've recently have discovered a whole new layer of anxiety because something clicked and I had this really bad, I got off I, you know, I had Julian, I had my second child. So I was on Zoloft a while after him just as a preemptive strike, like let's not even chance this again. Mm-hmm. And I, it took a whole year to wean off my medications. And then I had last January, I'm like, okay, I'm fully, I'm no medications. And I had just a vicious PMS cycle with my period. Mm-hmm. So I made, I just did a bunch of reading and was like, I need to give up sugar and caffeine. And it was good. And after that, it inspired me to give up dairy, gluten. And I think those are the big two. But so yeah. I've given up all this stuff. Oh, and peanuts. Who cares about peanuts? I can live without peanuts. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's the dairy and the cheese and ice cream. That's a problem. Yeah. So I gave up these food addictions. And I wanted to, it's like, I need to lose weight. I'm not feeling like my, like I can like level up again to an even better version of myself. I don't want this food. I just like, I look at it and I just don't want it. I just want to eat spinach and greens and healthy stuff but I didn't realize that all the eating I was doing was numbing another layer of anxiety so lately I am raw and just finding all the anxiety that comes out to play and 
I think being um, like being late is a trigger for me. Mm-hmm. And I'm working on that. Partly it's just managing the kids better and getting stuff done the night before. And partly it's talking to myself and being like, it's preschool. Yeah. <laughs> Who cares if we're 10 minutes late? It's preschool. Get over it. Yeah. So it's, it's a lot of work. And I got anxious last week over um, Julian just didn't want me to change him. He was playing with these fountains at these botanical gardens and he was, he was wet and he needed a fresh diaper and he was trying to wriggle away. And all my anxiety kicked in. And afterwards, like, I guess it was just like a control thing that he was resisting. I, and afterwards I wrote about it. And I was like, like I was trying to be gentle with myself, but also being like, this is stupid. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's two. And he is supposed to be an explorer of the world and he's supposed to resist me when he's like all messy and wet. Like, yeah, you know, amen. Keep playing. So I'm just, I think being aware of the anxiety for me is more than half the work. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting. Like I can't, I mean, I haven't done the research on it and maybe, so maybe you're a bit more well-versed in this than I am, but it feels to me that with, with social media and technology that, Yes, we have more ability to talk about postpartum, but there's also so much more judgment, it feels like that, or there, it's just easier to judge people than maybe it was in our parents' days. So that idea of, you know, your toddler throwing a tantrum in public, maybe, maybe brings out more anxiety than it did back in the day? I don't know. You know... I can see that for a lot of people. That part doesn't even bug me. Yeah. I got I got over the judgment at some point, you know, between having a podcast and writing a book. It's like, you know what, guys, this is me and yep. this is what my life is. And that helped me realize that what other people thought, that's their issue. Yeah. It's not mine. But I, I think it's something to do with like just this primal response to him crying yeah. creates like almost this artificial stress I've been really interested lately in the difference between stress and anxiety and stress being like external stimuli that's legitimate and I think we have this culture that has turned a lot of things into stress that shouldn't be stressful like stress should be there's a lion about to eat you alive but stress is not like my two-year-old's upset because I took his toy away so I'm trying to I'm just trying to figure it out myself right now because I want to be I would like to be a calmer mother and I don't have, I don't know who my role model is yet. I think I'm still looking and like I read a lot of, you know, just spiritual books or, you know, Brene Brown or I can't pronounce her name, Pema Chodron. But I haven't found the person who has figured their stuff out when they're still in the trenches with little, with little young people. Like Pema Chodron is like this Buddhist nun but she had all her enlightenment after her kids were grown. I'm like, that doesn't help me. Well, and How after fig- major, major life issues as well, like yeah. divorced and yeah. Yeah. And then she took vows and I'm like, I want to know how to do manage my anxiety while being in the grit of real life. Yeah. Like I have a husband, I have relationships with my children. I want to figure this out, like how to balance. There's just a lot of pieces. Yeah. Well, good for you. It's quite the quest, and I you will have to tell me when you have figured it out. <laughs> oh, I won't. I'll never figure it yeah. out. There's always there's always another level to level up to. Exactly right. So, when did you start the post uh, the podcast in your journey? I started the podcast when I think it was June of 2016, when Julian was about six or seven months old, and it just sort of hit me as an idea, like out of nowhere. 
And it was like my, and I've learned it was like my intuition speaking to me, you need to do this. Yeah. And I had, I have started and I've run still a support group that's mom to mom, mm-hmm. but it's tough to get people there because everyone has a different nap time. And if you're in, <laughs> if you have depression, it is hard to get out of the house. Yeah. If you have anxiety, it's hard to get out of the house. And so I have, you know, sometimes we have a stretch where we have like five or six people coming regularly, but right now we're in like a, like I may go to the support group this afternoon and it may be me and my laptop doing some work yeah. and that's fine. It's just, I feel like the existence of a group is a beacon of hope to some of the moms who can't even get there, but just to know it's a possibility yeah. helps them. But I had had this, I, I have the support group is now at a place that offers like parenting and birth classes. So it has a nice location, but we used to meet at parks and I went and some moms had RSVP'd and no one showed up and I wasn't irritated but I was just thinking, I need to find a way to help the moms who can't even get out of the house. Yeah. So that was like, I guess, where the idea came from. And so so you interview moms with their particular experience with postpartum, just having them tell their story, basically. And what was that like the first couple of episodes? Because like Total. you're saying your background is a lawyer, like so hearing people's deep, dark secrets, like what was that like? It was intimidating, awkward. I knew it had to be done, though. But, yeah, I don't have any training in journalism or radio. And But it it very quickly became apparent to me that moms needed to talk. And most, pretty much every mom, once you get a couple of questions, she's got stuff to tell and get off her chest, and she is ready to share it. Yeah. But... I, I don't even, it's been a couple of years since those first interviews. My first interview, my first guest, I, she was just so warm and friendly and we were doing it on Skype and she was laying in her bed and, you know, we were just really chill and casual and it, that just made it, I think she was like a really good first guest. Yeah. What have you learned from your, from your guests? Well, I'm just, I'm, I'm, there, someone's always saying something that triggers me and makes me realize, even though I've written a book and done tons of episodes on the show that are my story, that I still have little, little bits of pieces of pain to like work through. I've learned that stories matter. And are you a Brene Brown fan? Absolutely. (laughs) Okay. Brene Brown, we are people. Uh, Just that shame can't survive when you shine a light on it. And I know that I'm helping the moms who listen to the show, but I, I think I'm helping more the moms who come on the show, the relief of just getting the story out there and it's not a secret anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And I've learned again and again how different our stories are and that what works for me doesn't work for another mom. And and that's like an important part of not judging other moms and not judging other people. And, you know, and that you don't know what someone's story is full story is because I only get like the 45 minute or 60 minute version. And even in that, I'll just get all sorts of pieces that you would never have imagined. Like one of my guests was, I met her in person first at the warrior mom conference, which doesn't happen anymore, but I attended the one that was in Atlanta and she was elegant and poised. And she just seemed like she had, you know, the perfect life. She was sexually abused by her father so you would never it's just the doing the show has really taught me that you cannot look at someone on paper or just make an assumption from meeting them like just because they have their hair done nicely and they're beautiful does not mean they have the perfect story and I think there's something about 
like the work that you do, the work that I'm trying to do is giving per- people permission to not be perfect. Oh, yeah. I try to do that on the podcast to remind the guests, like if their child cries in the background, or their dog's barking. I'm like, that's great. That's real life. Like we're yeah. just like, remember, we're showing our guests in real time that life's not perfect, which yeah. is why, like, I had this recent episode where the leaf blower was going out of control. And I'm like, okay, everyone, you are seeing me struggling to deal with imperfection. Like, it's good yeah. to show that I'm not perfect, too. But and just like you're saying with those moms, that release of like, this is what's going on behind the scenes, because I know like people say, like, I've even had people, someone recently say to me, like, I don't know how you do it all. And I'm like, excuse me, what? Like, do you have no idea what goes on in my household if that's what you think? And yet, obviously, that is, you know, your perception is your reality, right? Like, people are seeing this version of us, what we're presenting to them. But if we don't, if we don't share the hard stuff, they don't have permission to share their hard stuff either. Yeah. And one thing I haven't done this yet, but I keep wanting to just occasionally do a YouTube episode and do something like here is a tour of my house. And as the only way I'm able to write a book and have a podcast is by letting my house look like there was a shitstorm. Yeah. And and I have a cleaning lady once a week. And that's the only reason that we're not like, you know, child services is not coming by. <laughs> yeah. Yep. We're just sort of I just have to reassure myself that I'm like following my intuition and doing the things that I need to do. And like, we're embracing the imperfection and the messes. Yeah. I love that. And it, it's so true. If we want to do anything or achieve anything, we have to let things go. I'm reading this really great book right now called drop the ball by Tiffany Dufu. Have you read it? No, but I want to now. Well, it's all about how to achieve more by doing less. So I was like, yes, yes, this is what I want in my life. Um, And I'm really enjoying it. And she talks about this anxiety that so many mothers get particularly around controlling what goes on in their home, whether it's uh, childcare or the domestic cleaning and all that kind of stuff. But just this not being able to let go thing. Yeah, uh, I mean, every crumb having to be off the floor. It's like we have so many crumbs in our house. And guess what? We don't have bugs. Yep. It's okay. Yeah, we will survive. Yeah. And and in fact, your kids' immune systems will thank you for it someday. See? There's a good reason for all of Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Yeah, be messy. So what's different about the book for people compared to the podcast or your website? Well, the book is a much deeper dive into the story. And... It has, I think, more, more reflection. I'm able to just, you know, when I'm talking out loud, it's hard for me to like reflect in like the most coherent of ways. Cause like the ideas just start to spill out. So it's easy to actually tell the story of what happened, but when I'm writing, I can really like dig in and explain like, like, like the feelings, like the physical sensations that, I, that would have been going on yeah. or the inner monologue when I had insomnia, that sort of stuff. So it's just a lot deeper dive and a lot more reflection. Yeah. Like explaining like my breastfeeding issues, but able to really, I, I took a lot of time to think it out and be able to give a one page explanation of why, why I had so much pain over letting go breastfeeding and why I had so much buildup at like, why I had like a link in my mind between breastfeeding and being a good mother. Yeah. (laughs) Societal pressure for number one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. So having postpartum with your first child, 
getting pregnant a second time, were you worried? What was that experience like? I wasn't worried because I knew that I was going to be prepared. My first psychiatrist, I'll just say we had a personality clash. So I, I hired a new, I found a new psychiatrist and she, she put me much more in the driver's seat. Like, what do you want to do? What, how do you want to handle this? And we just, we talked about it and the risk factors and just decided all chances are I'm going to have this again. So let's just start the medication again as soon as I give birth. And now I've done even more reading and, and realize I should have just stayed on Zoloft when I was pregnant, that my first psychiatrist had bad information mm-hmm. and hadn't updated it. But it's in the past and I, I wasn't scared the second time around. I'd done so much work with the book and I knew what, I, and I had a list of like, you know, risk factors to look out for and told my husband, like, these are the things I need to be doing every day. If I'm not showering, if I'm not getting outside to get fresh air, if I'm not taking time to like just tickle Pippa, you know that something's wrong and, and you need to call in the troops. Yeah. So talk to me about that. How, what's the, what's the support that you've created for yourself? Well, I have a babysitter twice a week yeah. and I, and Pippa goes to preschool five days a week. Uh, me and Nathan, we don't do this every weekend, but once or twice a month, we sort of swap days and I have one day with the kids and he can go do whatever his man stuff that he needs to do. <laughs> and it's going, he goes to the racetrack. He loves the horse races. Nice. And I take a day I, and I'm really working on taking a day once a month. I love my creative stuff and writing and doing the podcast, but I, I forced myself to go to this day spa in Koreatown that's for women only. And it has like a cold plunge and tubs and steam rooms and saunas. And I get a scrub and I just really just enter a different world and check out. Yeah. I'm just trying to think of my support. I, I have a therapist and I worked with her after Julian was born and took a long break, but I saw her again this past a couple of weeks ago, just when I felt my anxiety resurfacing as I gave up food issues. So, you know, and being able to spend money on myself, mm-hmm. letting go any guilt of that, like it's not all about the kids. It's yeah, it's so fascinating. Like I've definitely been nervous the second time around that, like my doctor said that likelihood is higher of having it if like with the second child if you've had it the first time. But again, reminding myself that like. I'm better prepared. I know what to expect. It's also fine. I like am on medication right now, so it'll just be an adjustment if it needs to be and all that kind of stuff. It's um You're on higher it, alert, so you're yeah. ready. You won't let things linger. Yeah. But it definitely it's definitely in there in the back of my mind for sure. Well, I skipped breastfeeding because I knew yeah. that was a problem the first time around and for anyone who would like anyone you know, fed is best. Yeah. Who cares how they get it? But if someone sort of was looking critically at me and I didn't want to deal with it, I would just say, Oh, I'm on Zoloft. Even though it's perfectly safe to take medications and breastfeed. Mm-hmm. I would but really I just didn't want to breastfeed. And we had a night nurse for the first month. And yeah. sleep is beautiful. Your body needs it to recover. It's amazing that we're supposed to be up every two or three hours after like, you know, I had a C section with Julian after major abdominal surgery. Well, and it blows my mind how many mothers, whether they have postpartum or not, do not create this support group for themselves and try and do it all themselves. Like it's to me, I find it baffling. Maybe it's just because I I feel like I I couldn't do it 
the second time without help. I didn't know what I needed the first time. Now I do. <laughs> now my mom's on alert that like as soon as my husband goes back to work, she is moving downstairs for two weeks and helping me get my son today home. Like perfect now, but you need to, I guess you don't know what you don't know. Right. So first time no. can be scary. Right. But we have a culture that has created this myth of the super mom. <laughs> yeah. And, and we haven't figured it out yet. I mean, it's great that women can have all the same professions as men. It's, but it's just created these, I think we're just in a really like growing pains and figuring this out because we don't live in villages anymore with all of our aunts and cousins and, you know, all the relatives right there to help. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I can't even articulate it clearly because I don't think we've figured it out yet. Like, mm -hmm. because, because we have social media, which is so new and it's just changing the way we think. Yeah. And the, there's just all this pressure on moms and, you know, most moms that I know are struggling and, but they put up these happy exteriors and until you actually know to look past it, you can just assume I'm the only one here who's struggling. It's like, no, you're not. Everyone's having a tough time. Yeah. It's motherhood's uncomfortable. So what about your husband? How was, like, have you, I'm sure you have talked to him, what his experience was like seeing you go through or experiencing you go through postpartum and being hospitalized and what was he able to take away from this? That's a really good question. <laughs> I, I don't think I've actually had as many conversations with him about it as I'd like to. It's a tough, he's, um, he's from Nebraska. Yeah. He's from middle of nowhere, Nebraska. And it's harder for, he talks about it, but I don't think he's necessarily, you know, he hasn't done therapy, so he hasn't done or he's not doing daily journaling. So I don't think he's really reflected a lot on how on what this experience was. I think, well, he took paternity leave with my second child. Like the first with Pippa, he took two weeks, but he got a month. and He didn't feel comfortable taking the whole mm -hmm. with Julian. He's like, I am taking the month. You need me there. Yeah. So he'd, he'd obviously learn some stuff, but I haven't had like a full on conversation with him about like, so what did you learn? And yeah. It's interesting because I think there must be this, I, I in the few, my husband's fairly similar, but in the few conversations we've kind of had about it, like he was just saying, there's just this helplessness of like, I, I can't be in your head. I can, he's like, I can do the dishes more and I can take the baby out for a walk so you can have some time to yourself. But he's like, I can't help you with what's going on inside of you. Yeah. And I think like I had some insomnia recently. And Nathan was able, like he said, like, you know, you have an anxiety thing with insomnia. So like, cause I was trying to like figure out like some sort of diagnosis that was like, oh, it's just like, I quit caffeine. So it's just withdrawal or, oh, I'm entering like a premenopause stage in my life. So I have to figure out some new vitamin. And Nathan was the first to be like, like literally like day two, like, oh, do you think maybe there's some sort of anxiety? And it took me like two weeks after that. So he's figured out a lot of like he understands me a lot better now than I probably understand part of myself. Yeah. Well, it's fascinating. And how would you say this has impacted your relationship with your kids now? You were saying you're trying to be more calm. Like what's your philosophy on parenting? Oh my gosh. Well, it's a work in progress. Mm -hmm. I don't think can I skip ahead to one of your questions at the end of the interview. Sure. Cause you ask like about inspiring books and the one that's inspired me the most lately is the conscious parent. And the idea of that book, I always butcher the author's name. It's, um, Shafali 
and then T-S-A-B-A-R-Y. And it's about, like, it's not about controlling your kids. It's not about getting them to be obedient. Like, the universe actually has this way of giving us the kids that we need to trigger our issues for us to work through them. And, like, our children are an opportunity, like, that, that they're closer to wisdom than we are. They're less messed up. They don't have, like, these egos and the anxieties and the pressures of, like, society. They're just existing and playing and, like, they're, they're in the moment and they're there to teach us how we can become, how we can, she calls it transforming ourselves. So that's just, I'm trying to parent from there, from instead of trying to manipulate and control my kids to figure out what can I be changing about myself so that I can embrace the fact that they're five and two years old and that they're actually doing what they need to be doing at their age. So what are the kinds of things you've had to embrace? <sighs> um, slowing down. Yeah. Um, that we need more time to get, like, we can't, like, kids do not move on the same time plane that we do. <laughs> so you think, hey, guys, we're leaving the mall, and that means we're leaving the mall the next five seconds actually means it's going to take us about 45 minutes to get out of here. And so, like, cutting down on commitments, you know, we don't watch TV in the morning anymore. We did that for a while because it was easy with, you know, like a you know, a nursing newborn, but it got into a bad habit and I realized it just slows us down too much. So, you know, explaining to Pippa, like, look, in the morning, we just have to get our stuff done and get out and we can be lazy and slow in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. Um, being just really present and not having to be productive because I think a lot of my self-esteem has been tied in the past to how much I accomplished and what I did and how much I could like check off my to-do list or how well I had done as a lawyer. And, just accepting like they're worthy of love no matter what they do on any given day, just by virtue of being alive, they're worthy. And if they are, that means I am. So it's learning. And you know, I love Brene Brown. Like you cannot love anyone as more than you love yourself and learning. Like I have to like love myself and every part of myself if I'm going to love my children that way. Yeah. Well, and that's such an interesting part of that book because I, like, I, I remember reading that and she was saying, I struggle with that. Like, I mean, how could I possibly, like, I love these children and I have this these thoughts about myself. So anyone that's listening, I would encourage them to, to dive deep into that because it, uh, I think she's right and it's, but it's not easy. Well, they learn to love, they learn everything from how we do it. Mm-hmm. And you, if you don't, if you're not loving yourself, how are they going to learn to love themselves? Mm-hmm. I, there's, there's just I spend days and days talking about this. Yeah. So have you thought about like kids growing up seem to be so like there seems to be more depression and more anxiety. Have you thought about how you're going to build work on building their resiliency? I think I have to. They, I have to stay out of their way. They have, they have their shit together. <laughs> they are. Julian is just the most joyful human being. And Pippa, we went to Disneyland in January, and there's the Matterhorn, and she is tall enough to go on this, like it's a roller coaster, it's fast. And she had been on a roller coaster with me last summer um, at the pier, and it's this a very tiny, lightweight roller coaster that isn't actually that fast. And she cried on it, like right away. And so we were at Disneyland, she's like, I want to go on the Matterhorn, and I tell her, you might get scared. Remember this, and we went back and forth about, you might get scared, and her saying, I want to go, and like five or six times. And finally, she she just put a hand on my arm and went, Mama, how will I know if I'm going to be scared unless I try it first? Oh. 
<laughs> and I just sat there and I was like, oh shit. I was like, okay, Nathan, you're taking her on the Matterhorn. Like, <laughs> I just have to stay out of their way. Yeah. It's and any of the issues that they get is going to come from me. So it's working on myself will help them not have anxiety and depression. I love that perspective. I really love that perspective. Just get out of their way. Yeah. And whenever, whenever we're having conflict, it's like, I'm in their way. <laughs> what am I doing? Step out of their way. Or like I'm putting expectation, my expectations on them. Oh my God. Ex- yeah. Yes. Oh my gosh. Uh, the expectations we bring to like uh, Julian's in this toddler class and we do like there's a music portion every time. And sometimes like I expect that we're going to sit down and he's going to sing with me and he's going to get up and dance and he's going to like interact with the puppets. And he sometimes he's just like, I want to play outside with the trucks and he doesn't want to do the music part. And when I start to have issues about it, I'm like, what am I doing? This is his class. And if he's not feeling like the music mood, like that's okay. Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. I love it. Okay. So we're going to move into the five questions. Well, now four questions that I ask all of my interviewees. <laughs> You've already talked about the book. The So it's conscious parenting or the conscious parent. It's called the conscious the Conscious Parent, Transforming Ourselves, Empowering Our Children. Perfect. We will link to that in the show notes, and I definitely want to check that out. So what are the things or the projects? It doesn't have to be related to your work in Adventures in Postpartum, but what gets you fired up in a really good way? It's anything where I'm following my intuition. So it does end up being my postpartum work for the most part, yeah. like the podcast, the support group, the book, because my intuition just told me you have to do this. Like I, I've always wanted to be a writer and I had written the first draft of a novel when I was, um, before I had Pippa and I just assumed that's what I was going to work on. And so when I was like, you know, six, seven months postpartum and feeling a lot better, I kept trying to work on that during nap time. And every time I would just open a new document and start writing about the postpartum depression. And my intuition was like, you got to work on this right now. And I don't, know what my next projects are going to be because I'm on the verge of publishing my book and I think I'm going to actually be writing some fantasy novels next something I've always wanted to do but I I just have to follow the intuition and see where it leads me yeah I love that oh that's fantastic do you have a favorite quote or words that you live by okay so I'm not a real quote person but I was thinking about this and it's funny because I read with a highlighter and I highlight so many books, but then I don't remember the quotes. So I asked my intuition this morning, what's your favorite quote? And it was, don't worry, be happy. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's so cheesy. And I could hear the music in my mind, but I'm like, no, really, don't worry, be happy. Because whenever my anxiety kicks up, it's like, what, what am I doing? I'm either, I'm trying to control something that hasn't happened yet. And worrying about this is just doing nothing but making me feel, you know, negative. Yeah. What's the best life lesson that you've learned or advice that you've been given? There's a lot on that front, but I think mm-hmm. it's that mistakes are essential. And it, especially with parenting and something I've been thinking about a lot lately is that my children are entitled to my mistakes because I want to like figure out what can I do to like in my parenting to prevent them from needing to have therapy someday, to prevent them from needing anxiety. But then I realized, I mean, it's an adventure for all of us. We're all on a journey and we're all entitled to the mistakes and we are all entitled to have imperfect, flawed parents. And so I'm going to make some mistakes and they're going to get to learn 
wonderful things from the mistakes. Yeah. And I, so I'm trying to not beat myself up over being perfect about that. Oh. So it, and I'm working on it. It's it's a work in progress. You're dropping so many wisdom bombs for me today. <laughs> like <laughs> your children are entitled to your mistakes. Yeah. Yeah, that's something I have to unpack because like like something we so I've changed the way I'm eating lately and Pippa's like really observant and she and like big on asking questions and she was like so you're having these smoothies now? Yes. So you're putting in like all the spinach and the good things. Yes. Well, why weren't you doing it before? <laughs> it's like, well, kids ask I, the darndest questions. I'm like, yeah, like they will just like they just strip it all away and make you as raw as you could be. And it's like, well, mommy was trying her best, but she's learned that this is a better way to eat and to make my body feel better. Yeah. So, you know, just letting her like chew over that and <laughs> she's going to she's going to she's going to help me find all my flaws and all the areas I need to work on. Oh, that's awesome. So final question, Courtney, is what does it mean to you to live your best life? It's going to go back to Renee Brown is to live authentically. Cause I, I think I, I thought a lot about happiness when I had the postpartum depression and I was like actively recovering from that. And I think happiness is just a gateway to feeling fulfilled and you're not going to feel fulfilled unless you're just living your authentic life. Like, who are you? What are you meant to do? We're all different and we're all wired differently and it's not living the life that you think society expects from you because that's what I did for over 30 years you know go to the best college I can go to law school be a lawyer be on the highway with all the marked you know the signs signaling the way to success and success was like it was money and that was it like certain you know having a salary knowing exactly what's coming up ahead and like it's that's just not that was not my best life. I was miserable. Like there's, there's probably a book I need to write about, like, you know, the book for recovering lawyers and <laughs> <laughs> recovering your sense of humanity and your soul. Yeah. Well, that was fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. We've really appreciated having you. Thank you. This was so much fun. 